0: You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership.
1: Why are you in ministry? If you're a pastor, why are you in pastoral ministry? What's the rationale, what's the reason, what's the logic, what's the purpose? Those are some big questions. Maybe questions you've wrestled with. And if you were like me in ministry, I was wrestling with those questions, sometimes in shallow ways just to get me through the day. Why am I doing this? And sometimes it was a deep season of wrestling. Why am I doing this? Today's guest, Dr. Terry Cross, is going to help us with some of those questions as we talk about the answers that we reflect upon, which is a theology of ministry. Terry is the author of Serving the People of God's Presence. It's published by Baker Academic. He serves as the Dean of the School of Religion and Distinguished Professor of Theology at Lee University. He's got training in the academy, he's got experience in the pastorate, and you're gonna hear the heart behind that whole life in today's episode as one who is encouraging and cheering on pastors. If you are asking that why question, that logic question, that rationale question, today's episode is for you. If you are a person who's in the church and you're wrestling with, well, what's my purpose as a person in the church? What's my role in ministry? Today's episode is for you too. You're gonna hear some of the rationale about every person being in ministry, every person who's in the church being a pillar of the faith. Thanks so much for tuning in today's episode. Trust it will be effective and helpful and encouraging in your own walk. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor and then enjoy the episode. We are Wesley and you
0: belong here.
1: My name is Victoria Borum and I am Wesley.
0: I'm Lenny Lucchetti
1: and I am Wesley. My name is Chris, and guess what? I am Wesley.
0: Hi, I'm Tina Schappett, and I am Wesley. We recognize this
1: beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley.
0: I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley.
1: Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Dr. Cross. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be here. So you're coming at this question of pastoral ministry and a theology of ministry, Christian ministry, from a Pentecostal perspective, and I think Pentecostal perspective is one that often has a a great encouragement to Wesleyans, and so I thought this would be a fascinating conversation, but also appreciate how you've come at this from this perspective, but in a way that resources and encourages a wide array of people and convictions. So we're glad to have you with us. Maybe the best way to start out this conversation is just by asking you, well, what is a theology of ministry? Maybe those are words that people don't often put together. They think about theology as theology and ministry as ministry. What's
0: a theology of ministry? So my training is in systematic theology, which looks at doctrine and a number of other contextual kinds of theology. It's not really in pastoral ministry, but unexpectedly, I became a pastor about uh, almost 30 years ago now, and I spent 12 years in pastoral ministry and trained as a theologian, I needed to find a way to put what I understood in my head theoretically into the practice of ministry. So I began to look at ministry from biblical understanding, from theological understandings that I had and asked, how does that fit in the context of my society or culture where I'm currently ministering? What I found was that there are very few resources about that out there, a lot of how to and what to do and skill-based things, but it was lacking in some sense, uh, at least in the literature, ways of combining those two into what I might call practical theology. Uh, so that's where I began. What is it then? It's a, I guess, a response on my own quest to make sense of my theological training, and my practice as a minister, a pastor, uh, in the local church. And that's why I think I turned my attention toward writing this out, because I'm teaching as a theologian now, but I'm also doing it in service of the church. Hmm. So what could I do that would offer that?
1: So out of your own story, you started working on this Reflection. What's the what's the basis? What's the rationale? How do I put this together? What what is is God doing, maybe through the pastor? What is the pastor doing in God for the church? Maybe another way to to frame it. And and these, of course, are theological questions, but deeply embedded in ministry, the the practice of pastoral leadership. Maybe if you were to turn your eyes outward, maybe you're thinking about some of your students, and I'm certainly thinking of my own. Why might it benefit a pastor to think through
0: their own theology of ministry? Right. Well, we inherit ministry paradigms. That was what I really was struck with, that uh, there was not a whole lot of rather deep questioning of why. Why are we doing this? There was a lot of questioning of what should we do and how do we handle this overwhelming job that as a pastor that wears 18 different hats and you're never satisfying everyone. And so i felt there was a, a deeper question and that is the why. So I began to dig in scripture to try to find something that would give me a rationale for the purpose of what I was doing. This is what perhaps every pastor, seminary student, minister out there needs to do at some point. Answer the question, why is it that I am here doing this? Because it's the why, the answer to the why, that will give you long-term stability in ministry. If you just keep tweaking it for the what's and the how to's, after a while, it's just a matter of nuts and bolts that get twisted a little bit and tweaked, instead of asking, well, why does the engine run at all? Understanding my position as a pastor and what I'm supposed to be doing from God's perspective reshapes and recasts the entire calling issue. And it also recasts the relationship that I have with uh, uh, people in the congregation. What I discovered, just to move it in a little bit further in terms of my own theology of ministry, is that hierarchical systems are very damaging to something that I found ever present in the New Testament, and that was the priesthood of believers. There is no uh, theology of priestly activity for human beings. So there's no caste of clergy that are higher than others in the body of Christ. There are leaders, there are callings to that, but I felt that what I had inherited as a paradigm was the pastor model that does all the work of ministry and the people in the pew just kind of sit and watch it happen. And they get to criticize very nicely. (laughs) if, If it doesn't happen the way they want it to happen or they think it should happen. What what would occur if the goal of a pastor uh, were to be as a leader who pulls out of every individual the gifts that they have and uh, encourages and releases them into that gift of ministry in the body. So I saw it more as the Ephesians 4 model of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry where we become priests of God together. Nowhere in the New Testament is any Christian called a priest. There are some Jewish priests in the book of Acts who become converted not long after the day of Pentecost, but there are no Christian priests. The only one is Jesus Christ, the high priest. And we all are considered the priesthood of believers from First Peter and also the book of Revelation. We are described that way. Going all the way back to the Old Testament concept in Exodus, where God calls his people a kingdom of priests. So part of what I do in the theology of ministry is ask the question, if we all are priests and the believers are gathered together as that priesthood, what are the functions then that I as a leader should be doing to train the body of Christ to become active in its task? Answering that particular question is one of the ways that a, a pastor engaging through their own theology of ministry will always come out better uh, because it's it's grounded more in the why. I'm thinking of a, a line I recently heard from Robert
1: Barron. So Robert Barron is a Roman Catholic theologian and bishop he was reflecting on this, on this question it was specifically a question that was given to him about the ordination of women. And one of the things he, he did was to to reposition the question. And I find actually has a resonance, if you can believe it with what you've just shared. And he said, well, the, what you have to come down to is the, the purpose of those who are in leadership, or the purpose of the priest is to serve the lady is to help them achieve what what they are are called to do. And laity just means people, right. It just means the people. Exactly. And, you know, some people don't like the word or they, they think it's, it's diminutive depends on how you use it right on the mouth of the user, but I think. The, the people, right? The people are are given to the world to to be leading the world, to be doing ministry, to be serving in the world. And however we conceive of people being set aside to help the people do that, I think we can agree that they are given to help the people be effective and fruitful in the ministry that's been given to them. So Bishop Barron talked about, you know, those who have the real power in the Roman Catholic Church are saints, you know, and and you can be a man or a woman, be a saint, you know, he's like, that's the that's the point. And, and when I hear you sh- share, we can have people who are set aside for the church that are given to the church to help them be fruitful and effective in their ministry, in their calling to live out the Christian life to the fullest extent that God would would give them to do that. And when we reframe it like that, then the notion of leadership is kind of like spun on its head, right? The
0: leaders are given to the church to help them be fruitful and effective. Precisely. So no longer am I working 100 hours a week, as I did in my first pastorate, just to try to do all the tasks that are there. Instead, I'm looking and it takes a lot of discernment and a lot of working together and being in the lives of the people of your congregation to figure out what is God gifting this particular person with and how does that fit in the complexity of our congregation? What I discovered it did, uh, seven years I worked on this model in in the church I was uh, leading, what I discovered it did was to open up the church from a very passive, auditorium like listening to an engaged active people came asking the question did God give me something this week that I need to share with everybody else Uh, and that was a pretty shocking way to do church because it wasn't the normal pattern that I had inherited but it changed it for me it felt like a much greater New Testament church I want
1: to take this conversation maybe in a bit of a direct, in a bit of a different direction, and speak to pastors who maybe feel discouraged. And I want to set the question up like this: You mentioned about the importance of the why, and and tracing that back, and how important that is. One of the theologians that you're referencing through the book is is Karl Barth, and, and Karl Barth has a great line about the purpose of theology is to help people be girded up unto death. And mm. I think about the Western Church, right, in different places, whether Australia, and England, and, and Europe increasingly in North America, there's mm. a kind of dying that's happening. So I recently came across a statistic from Gallup that's reporting that the percentage of persons in the USA who do not identify with a specific church, mosque, or synagogue has now fallen below majority. So less than half the US population now identifies with a, some kind of specific organized religious community. I grew up in Canada, so and, and specifically in Quebec, and we went under, underwent a, what was called the quiet revolution where church attendance really dropped. Mm. So for me, I'm always kind of surprised at the level of people who, who say they belong to a, a faith community in the United States, but that's pretty alarming, right? That that first time in U.S. history, that's dropped below majority level. And I wonder if we have pastors that are, are kind of seeing this as, as a kind of death. And so what came to mind was, well, if theology is to help gird people up for death and Carl Barth has an insight there mm-hmm. and, and you're writing to pastors, I wonder if there's a way that you're girding pastors up to deal with a kind of death as well. With this in mind, I'd love for you to share with us, why might pastors still think that being active in a specific community, that shepherding a local community is still important, right? If right. they're facing this kind of death, why why should they think that this is still worthwhile, still hold on to this calling, still sort, sort out their own ministry, as
0: it were, in this way? The amount of changes that mm-hmm. have occurred in the last two decades for all of us in the religious world is just mind-boggling. I I keep a little picture on the back of my wall. This is my home local church, only it was as it was built in 1930. Just a little country church. The reason I keep this in front of me every time I write, every time I'm thinking, every time I'm preparing for uh, my uh, lectures, I have to remind myself that what worked for this church will not be working today with a few exceptions. There are some truths of the gospel that continue on. I simply need to find a way to understand those truths in such a depth of my being that I can continue to carry those on. So part of what I deal with in, in this textbook is to deal uh, some with titles and functions in the first century church. It's just almost impossible to go back to the first century and and just harness those titles exactly so what what is an apostle then and what is an apostle today i mean for me though the question kind of i thought that would be the focus of my answer of the why just let's just reinvigorate these titles and functions and what i discovered instead was an inversion of that that these functionaries were all for a purpose of building up the body of christ so that we are able to fulfill the mission of God in the world. So in answer to your question, what can we do with all of this downloading? So the, the first book I wrote on ecclesiology really starts at the beginning with all of these pretty strongly negative statistics where things are just coming down and down and down in the church. And it's, it's gotten worse since I, that was published three or four years ago. I think it's 47% is the number you're referring to that dropped below 50% for the first time in our nation's uh, record of that. I think pastors can think of a Lutheran idea. Actually, maybe not Lutheran, but it's Luther's idea. He spoke of an ecclesiola in ecclesiae. Ecclesiola is a diminutive form in the Latin. So it's a little church within the church. Not everybody in your congregation is going to want to be active. And at different times in their life, they may want to be active or want to, need to be passive. It just depends on their own life experience and relationship with God. But take those who are the little church, the ecclesiola, that not necessarily all those who are volunteering to do something but those that have a desire to become closer to God in a world like we're experiencing today. When I go to church, I need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the fact that there is a world that is different from the one I'm experiencing in media and experiencing in the unkindness of everyday life. Hearing Jesus' words and hearing the gospel's Uh, language preached in ways that I can apply it to today's world is perhaps one of the greatest things you can do as a pastor. Be a light, be a witness to the light. Uh, Prepare prepare your congregation for the fact that they're not going to be a majority in the world. Understand that culture is going to be a pretty toxic environment and will be so more and more and more. How do we live in that? Well, I remind my students all the time that Christianity was born in such an environment. If there was a toxic environment, it certainly was the Roman Empire, especially uh, in the first century. So you as a pastor have this wonderful ability to watch people gather. And this is a Karl Barth image that I'll share with you. He spoke of the blood pressure system, you know, the diastole and the systole. As if it's related to the church. So God gathers the church in by his spirit and then sends them out. What happens between the gathering and the sending out is his wonderful little word, upbuilding. Uh, it gets translated that way, but it's this edification of the body in there. So what I like to do is em- emphasize that in worship, The central task is to find a way for us all to lift our eyes up under the hills from whence comes our help and praise and worship to God is then met with a human word response on God's part and his presence comes to us and brings about some transformation. That's, I think, what happens in worship, that cyclical thing. And now I can go out. And come back in, go out and come back in. And my motivations for going out and helping people, my uh, purpose for why I'm doing this is more aligned with the mission of God, the Missio Dei, because I'm continuing to bring the presence of Christ into the world. So what is the role of a pastor today? It seems to me to be more important than ever. It could be more discouraging than ever as well. But your task is to take that remnant who want to hear God and want to follow God in this world of darkness so that we can be light and pointing Christ's presence in a world that is certainly lacking a lot of God's presence.
1: I always am thinking in terms of of children, right? This is this is the the season of life I'm in. I have 975 and and 5 wow. month old. And yeah. so so every bit of my life can't help but be tracked through these lenses. So a couple of thoughts that come to mind is my two sons love flashlights. And the excitement that comes it's like the the moment of holding the flashlight and knowing that that you control the light is this potent moment right because they don't like the dark which who who of us likes the dark right they don't like the dark but man they get a flashlight and there's a moment of excitement that they can shine it i'm thinking what a what a perfect image of of this this being gathered in from the light this moment of light that's being shone abroad and if you think about the pastor as being the one who is, is guiding, light can be overpowering because sometimes they'll shine it right in my eyes, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll shine <laughs> yeah. it right in my eyes. And sometimes they'll shine it in, in a place that, that isn't very helpful. But, but sometimes they'll shine it on the book that maybe we're, that we're reading in, a, in an environment that has some darkness. And, and the, the light properly shone for the congregation that's been gathered is such a gift, right? It's such, such a Absolutely. moment.
0: Yeah. And it's also wonderful to know that we are not the light. Yes. But he is the light yeah. and there's something, okay, we have some part to play in this, but there's also a part in which the Holy Spirit is figuring out how to shine in mm-hmm. this world. And we just get the privilege of being part of that and seeing people become light in the darkness of their workplace, the darkness of their gyms, their societal actions. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a, a beauty that is beyond anything else in this world. One of my favorite passages, first
1: Timothy three, where Paul talks of the the church being the pillars of the pillars of the truth, right? It's been entrusted to them and they are, they have this strength that's been given to them. And I was thinking as well, you're talking about the gathering and then the sending, and there's this moment of pause, right? That happens between, between the gathering and sending. And that, that being the moment of worship where that, that up, the edification, the being upbuilt, that, that re-strengthening, right? Pillars hold truth because of their very nature. And sometimes we need to be reminded that our nature is in Christ, right? This, yeah. that we yeah. are in Christ and hidden with Christ in God. And so this re-strengthening of the church before they're, they're sent back out to be pillars, right. To be pillars of the truth, to be people that are carrying the truth and, sh- and sharing the truth is such an important moment of, of pausing for strength.
0: Yes. And I don't want to give the impression that I think that gathering and worship time is so important so that I can go out and get through my own life better. You know, that's the old gasoline fill up model. I think what happens in worship, I know what happens to me in worship, is that I am transformed. Mm. There's a moment in which God meets us, and that happens differently for all of us, but I'm believing that God's presence is with us, especially when we worship, and that that does some things to me. It reminds me on occasion, oh, I've offended this person, and I know I did. I, I've ignored it up till now. I need to go deal with it, or There are people who are in desperate need that I need to help this afternoon. Whatever it is, God helps the people of God together to accomplish his will and not just feel better about their own lives as in some self-help issue, Mm. but it's how is it I can be Christ to the world? And that is not only transforming for us personally, but for the entire world.
1: I was uh, reflecting with my children in the in the van this morning. We're, we're on the way to school, and we're talking about as we obey God, we only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, who, of course, is God. So when we are living in obedience to God, having been sent on mission, when we are living in obedience to God, we're doing this always by God's power. And this doesn't earn God's favor. This doesn't earn a relationship with God. Obedience, because it's by the Holy Spirit, is knowing God right obedience is a chance to know God and who God is and and then you sense that you get a sense of how great is the power of God that even God's power can be active through me right how powerful is God that he can even use me to do something that's meaningful and worthwhile and effective and and in his grace he accepts with delight right as an act of worship that's
0: that's been sent out from the church That matches my basic scheme of a philosophy of how we live as Christians. It can be envisioned as a line coming down vertically upon us, and that's God's grace. And then a horizontal line going out from us being our gratitude or our response to that grace. It seems to me all of life is, for the Christian, is laid up in that grace and gratitude. So finding a way to inculcate that in the people of God who are sitting in the pew and watching that kind of grow and happen in them and they experience some success in that response and obedience to God oh that's a treasured spot that God puts pastors in
1: maybe I'd draw that back to one of the things that you shared earlier as well is, the Ecclesiola, right? Ministering to those and, and and being built up by those that you're seeing who are interested in knowing God and are, are seeking after God. And then as the pastor, allowing yourself to be ministered to by those who are in who are growing, right? You're investing in other people's lives in this work and the gratitude that you then are able to receive as you see them growing and ministering to you, right? There it's just such a difference to do to think about doing ministry on your own is so different from actually doing ministry with others and on a team, because that's, it can be that, that mutuality, that life givingness that happens whenever we are, are working hand in hand. And of course, that's so often the, the context where God's Holy spirit is showing up
0: is through the brother, through the sister with whom you're ministering. I would say those my age and younger, maybe, I don't know when, but most of us have been trained we're the one who has to do all the work in terms as of, of a pastor. And what a different world it was for me in terms of pressure that was on me and joy that I experienced in the ministry is when I became more of a brother in Christ alongside of them, leading them to where they needed to be in their operation of gifts, but not doing the work alone. There is just such great excitement and joy when that occurs. Joining us
1: today is Dr. Terry Cross. Terry is the author of Serving the People of God's Presence, a Theology of Ministry. It's published by Baker Books. Terry, we've been talking all around this last question that I want to ask you, but maybe this is a chance to synthesize some of the thoughts that that you've got, or maybe that you've even heard in this conversation, or that you'd like to leave our listeners with. We've certainly heard you share how important the, the church is and how it remains so, and will continue to remain so. As a result, I think it's often important for not just for pastors to work out a theology of ministry, but for the people to work out a theology of ministry. Now, you share your own training as, as a theologian. And so you started asking these questions of a theology of ministry when you're in the pastor as a trained theologian. And maybe there's a bit of a parallel there that we can see. We have people in the, in the church that are gathered. They haven't even been trained in ministry, right? They have no formal training. And so they're working out their own theology of ministry with their own kind of unique context. I'd love for you to share with us because we've got pastors listening in and they want their people to be active. They want their people to know how important their lives are and how much potential they have and how they can be the ones who are are being pillars of the truth, right, in the world and bringing bringing the ministry of Christ to the world. What are some key insights that you hold for helping people to come to understand and claim this role as the church in ministry to the world? So if you were speaking to pastors to say, hey, here's how you can help your own people develop their theology of ministry and grow in our theology of ministry, what might you say?
0: So I'm going to approach this probably in a more cognitive way at first, because I think that's the problem that has to be overcome by pastors in a church. There's a cognitive resistance for people in the pew to engage because they think the word ministry can only be applied to the professional who's gone to school long enough to be able to do it. What I think has to occur is a, and this is what I deal with every day with students about 300 here in the school of religion who are training into some form of ministry, I'm trying to convince our professors here, the 30 of us, to turn on its head what we need to be thinking about training the next generation. So I'm going to give you some hints out of where we are all working together with that. In fact, one of my chapters deals entirely with the praxis of leading people into their ministry. So I think in the future, we're going to have to be training people on how to develop the parish congregation in their own ministry. Here are some hints that I would suggest Then begin with the teaching and training that ministry is not just for special clergy. It is my job, in fact, to train you to be releasing you into that ministry. And I would focus on Ephesians 4. That has been, in my experience, the most effective way so that God has given gifts of leadership to the church to train people in ministry so that they can be equipped to do the work of God. And the word equipped there can actually be a word for mending of nets or making up some deficiency in a gap that someone has. So there's where I think knowing your people and knowing how you can help them best to fulfill the gifts and callings that God has on them is crucial. The second thing I would say related to that is have them think of themselves as priests before God. So the priesthood of all believers, I think, is the underspoken truth from the Reformation that needs to have some invigoration in this century. So the people of God, what does it mean for them to be priests in the new covenant? They're not the high priest. They're not the one that goes between, but they are a priest collectively. What does that mean for corporate prayer? What does it mean for a corporate ministry, for worship? So there's a passage in Hebrews 13 that deals with sacrifices of praise, and there's a passage in Romans 12, 1 that deals with that issue. Doing some in-depth Bible study with your ecclesiola or the whole would be one other way to develop this concept of priesthood of believers. Uh, That was made known to me most clearly because I pastored in an area where there were 98% Roman Catholic So, everybody thought of me as a priest, even those who were Protestants and sitting in my church. And I had to make some real clear argumentation about that. But I've discovered that even those who are Protestant also have a sense in which I need to call the pastor to come do this because he knows how to pray when my child is sick. So, finding a way to release them into that. And the third thing I would say there has to be a focus, and you mentioned I'm. Pentecostal, I'm open to the movement of the Spirit, but I think the gifts of the Spirit are not just Pentecostal. I think these are whatever it is that God has for God's people. Finding a way to release your people into thinking that, oh, if I am a priest before God, God has given me something. What is it? And working with them through that to, do, to find what is the sweet spot of God's call and where the Holy Spirit is encouraging them to move out. So those are Three things beginning cognitive, but then practicing with them this in- entire idea that I think is really important. Person
1: that comes to mind is another person named Terry. So, yeah. Terry is a hero of mine in one of my previous churches, and God had placed on his heart people who were in nursing homes and other care centers because they were his heroes of the faith, right? They were his heroes of the faith who had shepherded him, discipled him, been leaders in the church while he was growing up. And now Terry was moving into his own retirement years and saw what he would call a forgotten generation and and he comes in and ever the cheerleader if a pastor ever needed a cheerleader i would say man talk to terry because he he knows and he came in to see me one day and he and he just said you know what are what are we doing what are we going to do to care for these people and we had a conversation and i loved seeing the heart that he already had that was full of love for people full of love mm-hmm. for god that it started to make its way up into his head and yeah. suddenly his, his mind is open that oh i I can do this ministry. And then it was amazing to watch Terry be, and I don't claim I don't claim responsibility for this. I just happened to be there. I just happened to be there. is Terry Terry's mind was open that I can do this ministry, and then, well, if I can do this ministry, then I can invite other people into this ministry. And what happened what we what we saw was just a beautiful ministry to people who otherwise had much less human contact as they were in different facilities and care centers. Because God opened one man's heart and mind to a ministry that he could participate in. And of course, we did what we could to to release him and resource him and encourage him with all that. But man, he, he so far exceeded whatever resources we gave. And what an encouragement it was to me. You know, I, it wasn't one I took credit for. I just said, God, praise you, God, for doing this. And and people were ministered to and, and reached even. People who didn't know Christ came to faith in Christ yeah. in their later years because one man and then others that he would invite into ministry with them, were, they were obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I have
0: stories like that too, which are just God things. What if the purpose of a pastor was to set the stage for that to happen in all of God's people in his con- or her congregation? That would be an exciting way to look at what god can open up and do and i'm convinced that if more people had that okay this is actually an option here you come to this church we'll let you sit in the back pew if you need to but we want to know what god's doing in you and how that can be played out in the congregation
1: Really interesting. In, a, in another episode of the podcast, I was speaking with uh, a lady named Beth Severson and Beth does ministry and, and researches with young adults. And she said, that's what they want. They want to be asked. They want to be included. They want to be uh, encouraged in ministry and given given responsibility. So one of my people I've learned so much from in, in pastoral ministry, Rick Warren. And he yeah. says, people want relationships, and they want responsibilities, right? That's that, that yeah. we're we're wired for that. And sometimes, like you said, yeah, you can sit in the back if you want to, right? There's there's sometimes a place for for that in church, but but the the normal Christian life is to be active and engaged in ministry, serving in the community, serving in the church, right? Seeing those as as often flip sides of the same coin. That that's the norm. That's the expectation. And we're going to do our best to make you
0: be resourced and and inspired in that. So great reminder. And and I think. What happens with that is that church no longer becomes the place you go to on Sunday morning. It becomes the life you have with the others in the body of Christ as you filter into the world and you live life together. It just becomes a natural way that you engage whatever it is that God is pulling you toward and you do that with others under this rubric of gathering, upbuilding, and sending. Joining us today has been Terry Cross. Terry
1: is the author of Serving the People of God's Presence, published by Baker Academic. You can check that out uh, online or one of your local bookstores. Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
0: This has been a privilege, and I really uh, hope that it is encouraging to some of those who are out there in the front lines doing the work, because I know it's rough.
1: (laughs) I share your desire, and I believe it will be. I often almost always pray with guests before we, we start. And that was not need was our prayer was that yes. God would carry this specifically to people who needed to hear it. And so we pray that God has done that. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for making conversations like this possible. The Wesley Seminary podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. If you're struggling with the why, I hope that today has helped you as you are sorting out the why, the foundation, the rationale for your leadership in ministry. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Connor, for your production work. Always appreciate working with you, Connor, and the work that you do to make the podcast possible. Thanks so much, everybody. Trust you all to have a great day.
0: Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.